Amen. Thanks, Ken. Thanks, worship team, wherever you've been dispersed to. Man, I was tempted to say I love that new song, but it's actually Jesus that I love. And uh, worship team, thank you for stirring our affections uh, for Jesus this morning. That's good. I just hope I don't mess this thing up. Oh, man, excited. Uh, Good to see you this morning. We're going to be in uh, Genesis 32. If you've got a Bible you want to turn with me, um, we have blue Bibles under the chairs dispersed kind of sporadically around the room. Um, If you don't own a Bible, snag one of those. That's our free gift to you. Um, If you've got an iPad, iPhone, a widget, whatever, um, go ahead and turn to uh, Genesis 32. We'll be there in just a moment. A few announcements, and the first announcement is that um, I don't have time to make all the announcements. Um, We are just, we are all bulked up in the worship guide on things going on. It's exciting. Um, So in your worship guide, you've got the announcements on the back page, and then you've got an insert inside to catch all the ones that didn't make that. So what I'm going to do is I'm just going to turn your attention to just a few highlights that are taking place on the next few weekends, and then the rest of it I I trust you to read. Um, uh, First of all, um, many of you are signing up for our our, uh, text message announcement blast. That's very helpful. Um, but we've also made available now, um, connected with that is email. And so the instructions are in your insert on how to s- sign yourself up for that. I think we got between 40 and 50 people signed up. Um, so let me just hit a, a few highlights. Next Sunday afternoon, parents at four o'clock is the parent sync. I want to encourage you to be here for that. Um, I'm not going to say that it's required, but it's strongly encouraged by our kids ministry, cha- kids ministry chain. That conversation is going to be so critical um, for us to hear about not just what's going on and what's going to be happening, but what that partnership really looks like to be parents partnering with the church to lead our kids to Christ. And so next uh, Sunday afternoon, 4 o'clock for Parent Sync. The next weekend on Saturday, I'm excited to make this announcement. It's going to be a fantastic time. It's on Saturday afternoon. Our Life Groups ministry is putting on a church-wide event. We're going to show up here. We're going to eat dinner. Um, We are praying and hoping for beautiful skies outside because we've got a lot of activities planned, Um, some volleyball tournaments, some fishing in the pond, uh, some horseshoes. If that's not enough, we're going to bring the horses out too, do some horseback riding. It's just going to be a great day here on the grounds. Uh, We used to call it dinner on the grounds. We just call it that, a dinner on the grounds. We come together as a church family just to spend time with one another, share a meal, and uh, and maybe get a little competitive over some volleyball, just saying. Um, You don't want me on your team, but you do want my wife on your team. I'll tell you that up front. The next weekend is Easter, big weekend for the church as a whole. It's a big weekend for us. A lot of you will be inviting your friends. I want to encourage you just to be strategic in how you um, set up for, like, find out when you're volunteering and and that sort of thing. So when you invite people to come visit, you're able to sit with them. Um, However, um, when we run out of room, I'm going to be asking our members and regular attenders to slip to the back if we need to, especially in that second service, to make room. Um, So what we're hoping is that some of, we're doing full child care uh, ministry in both services. So some of us will be able to migrate to first service that Sunday to make room. Uh, but, but regardless of, we want you to be excited about um, what's happening that weekend. So here's what we're going to do. We started this last year with the Good, Sur- the Good Friday service on Friday night. We're going to do that again this year. Okay, so just a little heads up on what that is. We are going to do our best to get into the moment that was the Friday night that Jesus was crucified. Okay, and, and it was a very dark, it was a very quiet time in Jerusalem where um, it almost seemed like hope had been diminished to nothing when the Savior had been crucified and killed on the cross. And so in that service, it'll be a simple service lasting maybe 40 minutes long. We're gonna come in, we're gonna sing some songs about the cross and the death of Jesus. We will look at the story from the scriptures and we will end that night uh, just kind of walking out of here in silence on Friday night. 
to do what? To come back on Sunday morning and celebrate with all that we have and all that we are, the risen Savior. So I want to encourage you to come to that Friday night service, the Good Friday service, and, uh, and join us. There's a lot of things going on that weekend. There's going to be um, 48 hours of prayer going on. We need you to sign up for that. Um, there'll be more information coming this week about the 48 hours of prayer. There's going to be a prayer walk the next morning. We want you inviting your friends, your family, those who don't know Jesus. You're going to see powerful, powerful testimonies. You're going to hear powerful testimonies that morning. But the most important thing that people are going to hear is that the hope that we have in Jesus can be had by any person who shows up. So that's Easter Sunday coming up, uh, the last Sunday in March. All right. Genesis 32, we are excited to pick up the story of God this morning. Um, If you have been following with us, we left off last week with um, Abraham and his son Isaac. He had obeyed God, taken Isaac up on the hill, Mount Moriah, to literally put him to death as a burnt offering. And at the last minute, God stepped in with the rescue and said, don't kill your son. Um, I'm using that to display what I'm going to do and and allowing my son to be killed for you. But don't kill your son. Let me provide the sacrifice here. He rescued at the last minute. And then Abraham and his son Isaac returned back to Beersheba, where Sarah's at, mom, uh, to continue living life. Okay? And so just to catch you up with where we are today, a lot has transpired. Um, We know Abraham and Sarah were already pretty old, so it's not no surprise a chapter later when Sarah passes away. Um, She passes away, she's buried there in Canaan, and then um, before you know it, um, Abraham passes away, and Isaac uh, marries Rebekah. Now, it's pretty cool because before Abraham dies, he actually sends one of his servants back to their homeland to find a wife for his son. And uh, we don't arrange marriages anymore, but um, it was kind of a gamble. Ended up, Rebekah was really hot, and so he he said, okay, I'll take her. And so Isaac marries Rebekah, and then Abraham passes away, and they uh, they have kiddos. So they have twins, which is a pretty remarkable thing for this point in human history. I mean, it's a remarkable thing to give birth to one. Like, it's miraculous every time. Two, more miraculous, right? And so for this time in human history, I mean, to survive giving birth to twins was, was a pretty big deal. So Isaac, right, he was little boy Isaac on the altar last week. This week he's a grown man. He's married Rebecca. His wife's pregnant with twins. And she gives birth to two boys. And the boys... Uh, are Esau and Jacob. Now, the firstborn, uh, he came out a uh, little hairy. Sometimes kids do that. Um, our firstborn was a little more hairy than our second. Um, sometimes kids are born hairy. He was born hairy. Uh, he was born red. He was given the name Esau. Okay, some things about Esau. He was a daddy's boy. He was a man's man. He loved to hunt. He loved to get out in the outdoors. He didn't mind smelling bad. Um, if you haven't figured out, ladies, we really don't mind smelling bad, okay? We just shower and put on smell good stuff because you ask us to. You leave it to us, we just roll with it, right? That's the way Esau was. He was, he was a man's man, okay? Even to the point where when his dad Isaac got like bad in sight, the way he would recognize his boys, he would smell them. He'd just rub his hand up and down his arm. Oh, you're the hairy one. Come here, let me have a smell. Mm, that's Esau, right? You smell like you've been camping, I like that smell. Campfire, I smell mm, dead animal, I smell man, right? Well, Jacob, a little bit about Jacob, he was a mama's boy. Now, nothing wrong with mama's boy. I was a little bit of a mama's boy for a while. I got over it. But uh, he was a mama's boy. He didn't like to go outside. He stayed in where it was clean, it was nice. Um, he was always doing what made mom happy. Uh, and he didn't like to get dirty. But there's a more significant thing about the two that you need to be aware of. And it happened at birth. See, Esau was the firstborn. So, It's a big deal at this point in time who's born first because the firstborn carries on not just the inheritance birthright but the promise that God's been making. 
right? He made a promise to Abraham through your descendants. It get passed on to Isaac. And now the firstborn of Isaacs is really important. So Esau's born, born first. So technically, he's got the birthright. Now, Isaac still has to pass it on to him and bless him, but he's first in line. Jacob is born, however, with his hand clutching his brother's heel, okay? And he's, so he's called heel grabber or swindler, okay? Now, this is going to be indicative of the twins' lives. Jacob is going to repeatedly be trying to steal the birthright from his brother Esau. Tries it on his own, just to negotiate between the two of them. He goes into a situation with Isaac. Remember, he can't see very well. And so he, he puts a little extra hair on. He puts a little stench on and brings in some wild game and goes into his dad. He can't see well. His dad's like, who is that? And like, oh, it's, it's Esau, right? And he walks up. He's like, you don't sound like Esau, but you, you smell like Esau. Oh, you're hairy like Esau. And so Isaac's on his, just about to be on his deathbed. And so he says, Father, bless me. And so Isaac blesses the wrong kid. He tricks his, he swindles his dad into blessing him, okay? So he receives a birthright. As you can imagine, older brother comes in and is like, whoa, 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 what just happened? That's mine, dad, how could you do that? He's like, what, what's going on here? I can't see anything. And, and so as you can imagine, enmity rose up between Esau and little brother Jacob because his whole life he was a heel grabber, always trying to swindle, always trying to get in the place of first. They grow up and, uh, and so... Here's what happens. Jacob begins, or Esau begins to pursue Jacob, even for his life, and Jacob flees. So where does he go? He goes back to the land of his mom. Remember how Rebekah, Abraham had sent for Rebekah, she came in. So he goes back there. So he goes back there to set up, set up camp. And first thing that happens is he sees this really hot girl. And I, the scriptures say it. I'm not just like trying to be funny. Like, like, like they were hot, okay? So you got, you got Rachel, he sees her. And he's like, she is really, really pretty. I would like to marry her. So he goes and talks to father-in-law, young men, it's not a bad idea to still do that. Go talk to your father-in-law, potential father-in-law. He goes and talks to potential father-in-law and says, hey, I'd really, really like to marry your daughter. He's like, I bet you would. But tell you what, show me. You work for me for seven years, okay? And I'll consider your wages my daughter. I'll give her to you at the end. He said, she must have been pretty, right? Because I'm thinking, I mean, I'll buy her a steak dinner, but seven years, Really? So anyway, he goes for it, and at the end of the seven years, it's finally time, big wedding ceremony, it's dark, there's a tent, there's a veil. Long story short, he wakes up the next morning, and he's laying next to Leah, her ugly sister. That's what the Bible says. <laughs> Rachel was hot, and Leah was ugly. And so he's been, now the swindler's been swindled. He's been tricked, right? And so needless to say, things aren't going well between him and his father-in-law. He's like, what are you doing to me? And we know what he's doing, right? I mean, he was just making sure the ugly one got married. So he, he gets her married off. He's like, I tell you what, if you'll work for me another seven years, I'll give you the pretty one. So now we're at 14 years. And so he does it. Jacob does it. And, uh, and then he stays another six years, stays completely two decades there in the land of his mom trying to win Rachel. And, and so he does. He gets two wives and two concubines out of the deal. Big herd of cattle and sheep and all kinds of stuff. And he did really well for himself. But then God enters into the... The conversation says, now, Jacob, pack up all your stuff. Get your wives and all your kiddos, all at this point, 12 of them, 11 boys, one girl. He has, a 13, he has 13 in all, 12 boys, one girl. Pack them up, go back to Canaan. Go back to the place I sent Abraham. Go back to the place of your father Isaac. Go back to the place where I'm having this conversation, proclaiming the promise. 
And so he's really caught in a, between a rock and a hard place. Things aren't going well with father-in-law. And so um, father-in-law is not a big fan of him leaving and taking his stuff, including his daughters, as you can imagine. Um, so he, he does. He takes off. And father-in-law pursues him for a while. Uh, then he, and he gives up. And so now he's kind of in between the land of his mom and Canaan. And he's really stuck between a rock and a hard place. Because here's the thing. God has told him to go back. Even though it's been 20 years, he knows what he's going back to. A ticked off older brother who wants to kill him. And so the story that we're going to be reading today is really the the pinnacle of that hard situation. Where God's going to intervene and speak and do some pretty cool stuff, I think. So we'll pick it up in 32. This is chapter 32, verse 22. So, So here's what's happening. Jacob is on his way. Um, father-in-law has quit the trail. And so now he's beginning to think about the situation with his brother, and he's getting a little nervous. So the first part of chapter 32, here's what he does. He, uh, he says he sends some servants ahead to go talk to his brother Esau, let him know little brother's coming home. And, and really, that's not really fair to those guys, right? I mean, if they come back with their heads on, that's a good sign. So they come back, and they're like, hey, we saw Esau, Really? What did he say? Well, he's coming to meet you, okay? Maybe that's good, maybe that's bad. Oh, and he's bringing 400 men with him, right? So now his biggest fears are becoming a reality. Oh, crud, he's not over it yet. 400 men? So here's what he does. He sends out his flock and his herd in droves out ahead to meet Esau. So Esau's journey of 400 men. A group of people with animals would greet him and say, these are from your brother Jacob. It's a gift. And then he would travel a little bit further. And then another drove of the herd would come by and they say, oh, this is another gift. And he's hoping to soften him up a little bit before he gets there. Matter of fact, when he actually gets in his brother's presence, he's going to like bow down like seven times. Just really trying to soften that that blow of, of his brother confronting him. So here's where we are. He sent out his servants, he sent out his flocks and his herds, he sent everybody out except for his two wives, their two maidservants, okay? So it's kind of a a messed up family situation. He had six kids um, with one of the wives, the ugly one, and then he had had two kids with Rachel, the pretty one, then he had two kids with one of, with Leah's maidservant, and he had two kids with um, Leah's maidservant, Leah and Rachel. Does it make sense? So 13 kids in all. It's kind of a messed up scenario. So he's left here with this family. And so what he does is he's going to cross over the river, set them up, and then cross back over and spend the night alone, wrestling with this situation. So we'll pick this up in verse 22. That same night he arose, he took his two wives with his two female servants, because they were mothers of his kids, and his 11 children or sons. He had a 12th one, which was a daughter. And he crossed the ford of the Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream and everything else he had. He took everything across the stream and set them up for camp. Verse 24, and Jacob was left alone. So here Jacob is. Everything's gone, right? All the stuff he owns is out in front of him going to greet his brother Esau to make sure that he softens that situation. His family is all across the stream, all set up in camp. Here he is left by himself. He's got no women around him to, to talk things out with, right? He's got no kid, kiddos asking him questions. He's just left alone with two things pressing on his mind. One, 
my brother wants to kill me. And two, God just told me to go home. And so the wrestling really has already begun before the wrestling takes place in the very next verse. So here's what happens. Verse 24. Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. That's a strange thing. Now these were stories written down by Moses, communicated first by mouth. They were stories you would tell. So you would save some of the punchline and the climax to the end. So he's just letting us in on a little bit of the story. At this point, all that Jacob knows is I'm wrestling with a man. That's got to be freaky. I mean, have you ever been camping? You ever been outside in the dark when it's quiet? Like, it gets a little freaky out there. And here he is by himself. He's not in a tent with his buddy. And maybe he hears this person, you know, walking. We're not sure if he just like, boom, blindsided him or if he, you know, came across the stream, kind of wading across. And maybe at first he thought it might have been Esau until he smelt of him. He's like, oh, I can't be Esau, right? All we know is there's a man wrestling with Jacob. So they wrestled until the breaking of the day. Verse 25, when the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he's going to do something. Now, we're going to find out in the end that Jacob is wrestling with God, okay? So when you read this story, something that might strike you is, how come God can't beat Jacob? Does it look like that? Okay, here's what the text is saying to us. It's not that God, like Jacob's this mighty power and God's like, ah, ah, try to get him in, you know, in the chokehold and all of a sudden he gets out of that and he's like, well, I'll try this one. Literally what's happening is Jacob is not yielding. So it's more like when I wrestle with my son and he keeps coming back for more, okay? We just keep wrestling. I pin him down, right? I got him to the ground. I'm like, are you done? No. I let him up and he comes back at me, right? That's what's going on here. It's not so much that God couldn't win as much as Jacob is just not yielding. He's not giving up. He's just continuing to wrestle. So he wrestles. And here's what, at this point, the man does. Just to reveal, this isn't, this isn't a, um, a wrestling match for power, who's tougher. He takes the tip of his finger, touches his hip, right? The biggest joint on the human body, and just dislocates it. Boom! And now everything's going to change in an instant. He's on the ground in pain and agony now, right? And so here's what he does. He touches the hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Verse 26. Then he said, let me go, for the day has broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go. What's happened here? The person whom he was wrestling with, right, he's now taken hold of. Something's changed here. Like in the touching of the hip, Jacob has begun to recognize, this is not just the man I'm wrestling with. Like, right? There is something, if this isn't God, there's something God-like about this man, right, that I'm going to yield. And so he, he defaults to grabbing a hold, which is his name. It's his nature, isn't it? To grab a hold of. And it's funny, because look at what he says. The same thing he's been saying his whole life. I will not let you go until you what? bless me. And Jacob's a swindler. His whole life he's been trying to swindle people and trying to receive blessing. And so he, here he is wrestling and now all of a sudden he's humbled. He's really rendered helpless. He grabs a hold of this one who has power and says, I'm not letting go 
until you bless me. And we're going to find out from the rest of the story. He's talking to God here. Let's, let's finish the story. Verse 27. The man, the figure, says to him, what is your name? Went from blessing to what is your name? What is your name? And he said, Jacob. What a profound confession. Think about that. What, think about what he's owning up to there. My name's Jacob. I've been wrestling with God my whole life. I've been swindling. I tried to swindle a man out of his daughters. I tried to swindle my brother out of his birthright. I've been, my name's Jacob. What a profound confession. Verse 28, he said, then he said, and I'm just gonna go ahead and throw God in there because this is where the story's going. Then God said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob. Like, I don't know that, like, we need to feel the weight released in that moment. I know it's who you've been your whole life, a swindler. Like, you're the guy that people don't wanna make deals with. You're the guy when you, you come crumbling, cr- coming across their property with your sheep, they say, you better pass on. Don't stop here. I don't trust you. You're no longer going to be that man anymore. But now you're going to be Israel. For you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Now here's what has happened. God has changed Everything, everything for Jacob, okay? Everything, to the point where if you just keep reading, like they don't even eat sheep the same way anymore. Like they don't even eat that part of the sheep on the hip, like it says from that day forward, meaning everything is different now for Jacob. Now in a few chapters later, God's gonna speak back into um, Jacob's life and he's gonna say, basically quit calling yourself Jacob, Your name is no longer Jacob. That's no longer who you are. You are now Israel. Now that's the name of the nation of the Old Testament. Like everything, everything is gonna be different. He began that night wrestling with God over this tough situation that he was in, right? The situation that looked somewhat impossible. He was stuck between the situation he was in and the promise that God had made to him. There's no, like the promise just keeps getting restated and restated and restated and restated. And so it's a matter of, Jacob, do you believe me or not? Quit, quit pointing down the road at your brother. Quit focusing on the circumstances that you're in and listen to my voice and believe me. You see where the wrestling began long before the wrestling match took place? That, that was just, I think, God personifying, showing us this wrestling in his heart. Gosh, that hit so close to home for me. We talked about it last week where God speaks to us and we put it off like he's talking to somebody else. We talked about it, you know, it's like God's talking to somebody else so loud we overhear it. Or God speaks to us clearly and we hear it, but then we come up with excuses one by one by one of why we won't go. I mean, it's so, it could be something so simple as 
go speak to that person right now. They, they need to hear about Christ. Don't worry about how to start the conversation. Quit worrying about what they're going to think about you. Like, do you trust me or not? Quit giving me all the reasons why you can't go, shouldn't go, and don't want to go. And just and hear my voice. Yield to me. Quit wrestling with me and go. It may be a bigger calling. Maybe your family is wrestling with the calling. Sell out. Go to the ends of the earth. We had, uh, this last first Wednesday, we had the Bray family in. And you go spend time with the Brays, and they'll be the first to tell you, there's really nothing special about the Brays. They've heard God's voice tell them to go, and they're going to China. Daniel, Amanda, and little Liam, and then any other children who come after them. And if you talk to them, it's been a wrestling match. It has been. But in the end, they've yielded and said, you know what? Even if it doesn't make sense to our family, even if it doesn't make sense that we would take and raise our kid in a culture that's so different from the American culture, it doesn't matter. We're going to yield to God and we're going we're gonna to go. Now, what's beautiful is this, this promise, like when you get to the end of your Old Testament, this promise is brought back up again in this whole situation. You get to Hosea, one of the, one of the latter prophets in your Old Testament. Um, Hosea just says some profound things about the situation. Um, Hosea chapter 1, just 10 and 11 says this. Um, Yet the number of the children of Israel. As soon as that word is spoken, Israel, it takes us right back to this moment. This is the first moment that name is expressed. Okay? So yet the number of the children of Israel shall be like the what? Sand of the sea. Where did that come from? God made that promise to Jacob's grandfather and then to his dad and then to him. And Hosea is saying, God hasn't forgotten his promise. I love this. And in the place where it was said to them, you are not my people. Like, I don't know if you feel that way or have felt that way about church or about Christianity, about God's people, like you're an outsider and you don't belong. What God is saying, this is just beautiful. Listen to this. To the place where it was said to them, you are not my people, it shall, be, it shall be said to them, children of the living God. Those who are not my people are gonna be my people. You see how everything's different? Now, identity matters. Okay, we're just 32 chapters into the Bible, to God's story. Identity is such an important part of what's going on. Right? That's the thing that actually sets us apart from the monkeys. That sets us apart from the dogs. I know we like to think it's our IQ and our intelligence, but even that's debatable sometimes. Right? But what sets us apart from all of creation is simply one thing. It's the image of God. We were created in the image of God. Identity matters. Identity is everything. And here God is inter, interacting with his creation. And what does he do with Abraham? From Abram to Abraham, he changes his identity. No longer are you going to be the exalted father. You're going to be the exalted father of all the nations. And here he's saying to Jacob, what? You're no longer going to be the swindler. You're going to now be the one who leads a nation who will wrestle with God. And they do, don't they? They wrestle through seasons of obedience, disobedience. And continue to wrestle with God. Identity matters. Identity can come from two different places. We talked about this in life groups a few weeks ago. 
uh, Cam took us to Psalm 135, where the psalmist tells us that we will become what we worship. Okay? So identity can come from what you love. You love something enough, you begin to look like it. Right? We were talking about this in our life group, how when you fall, like those who fall in love, in, in love with CrossFit, not everybody who does CrossFit, but those who fall in love with it begin to look like it. Right? We begin to look like our ambitions, our hobbies, the things that we really, really love. It begins to become our identity. But there's a second place where we get identity, and this is what we're seeing in the story. It's not by what you love. Your identity can also come from who loves you. Let me read something for you. I love this from Deuteronomy. Now, this is a little bit further on. Jacob's family has grown into a nation, okay? But it's still Israel. Still, still God's speaking to these people who wrestle with him. And so he says this in Deuteronomy 7, verse 7. It was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you, for you were the fewest of all peoples. Quit thinking you're something, Israel. It's not why I chose you. I chose you because I loved you. Look at verse 8. But it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath of the promise that he swore to your fathers that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery. You are who you are because I love you. And everything is different. Now, Here's what that means for you and I. We're going to go to Romans 6, and we're going to land this time together in Romans 6 and look at just a few verses together. Identity matters, okay? In Romans 5 and Romans 6, Paul is going to talk about our wrestling nature and how we wrestle with sin. And he'll even, by his own confession, say, there are times where I'm losing the wrestling match and times where I'm winning. Can anybody relate? We all wrestle with sin, okay? Well, he's going to end chapter 5 by talking about that wrestling match and saying this. Where sin abounds, grace abounds. What is it? What's that phrase? All the more. Grace is going to win this wrestling match for those who are in Christ. But then he begins chapter 6, verse 1, asking these rhetorical questions. Well, maybe we should just go on abounding in our sin then, right? Let's just let this thing roll. Is that what he means by freedom? Not at all. Look at what he says. This is Romans chapter 6, verse 1. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? You know, some people interpret our freedom in Christ as that. We sing about liberty, liberty to do what you want. God's got it covered anyway. Paul would have an argument against that. So here's what he's going to do. He's going to talk to us about our struggle with sin. And here's what I expect him to do. See if you're with me. I expect Paul to get in my face and say, quit sinning. That's kind of what I hear from the church. It's what I heard growing up. Right? It's what I heard in youth ministry. Don't sin. And then you'll make God happy. You want to know how to be at peace with God? Don't sin. Don't drink beer. Don't watch rated R movies. Don't do this. That's what the church has told us. Right? And so I expect Paul to do that. I expect Paul to go, come on, pull yourself up by your bootstraps, right? Let's, let's do this. Quit sinning. And look at what he does. I love this. Okay, Romans 6, verse 2. And if your version has an explanation point after it, I think that's a, I think that's a right-on hermeneutic. I'll say that word. By no means 
How can, like, how can we who died to sin still live in it? Now, what he's going to do over the next eight, nine verses, he's going to say the same thing over and over and over again. When Paul does that, it's because he wants us to hear it over and over and over again that we might finally get it. Okay, so it's for hard-headed people like me. Maybe not you, but me. Maybe even hard-hearted people. Okay, so by no means, how can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ, whoa, now the church is listening, right? Baptism, whoa, that's a big deal to us. What's well, a big deal to Jesus too? All of us who were baptized into his death, we were buried therefore with him by baptism into his death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in a newness of life. That whole Jesus dying on the cross, being buried and raised again, like that's, that's significant. Because not only is that where you find forgiveness of sins, that's where you now found your identity. Look at what he's gonna say. Verse five, for if we have been united with him in his death, so there's an if there, we shall certainly, I love certainly, I like certainlies, don't you? No probably maybes, this may be the case. Certainly, I love this. We shall certainly be united with him in, his, in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be what? Enslaved to sin. There's your freedom. So, so here's what Paul says. I didn't bring you a 12-step program. Jesus isn't here just to make your life better and inspire you to greatness. If you're in Christ, your old self is dead now. And you've been resurrected in a new life. Now, here's what he's going to go on to say. We'll read it. He's going to say this. Once Jesus defeated death, he couldn't go back the other way because in order to go back the other way, he'd have to die again. But he'd already defeated death. So death cannot overtake him again. He's going to say, now that's true about you. You can't go back. Well, I love this. Look at this. So we know that our old self was crucified with him. This is verse 6. In order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. Verse 7. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Verse 8. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. And we know that Christ being raised from the dead, he will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. And guess what, believers in Jesus? Death no longer has dominion over you. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. Now here comes the command. You ready for Paul to get in your face and tell you to do something? Because we're a do something people. Give me my part. Okay, what do I need to do to not sin anymore? I need, I need internet accountability. I need, right, I need all these practical things to keep me from sinning. Those things can be helpful. Don't misunderstand me. But that's not what Paul says. You know what he does? Here's his command to you. It's the word consider. Consider yourselves. You must consider yourselves dead to sin, alive to God in Christ Jesus. That's how you overcome sin in your life. You know what he just commanded you to do? See yourself as you are. Quit looking at yourself and seeing the dead man or the dead woman. Your old self, right? This is why the 12-step program, again, I'm not knocking on AA, but don't bring that into the gospel. doesn't work because your old self is now dead. Instead of like putting a ladder in front of the, the person stuck in sin, climb the rungs and get better, 
Because we would only make it so many rungs, then we would do what, fall? Here's what Jesus did. He dug a hole and said, tell you what, let's bury that old self once and for all. And if you're in Christ, you have been resurrected in a new life and a new identity. Identity matters to God. Romans 8 says that you and I in Christ are now being conformed into the image of who? Jesus. Whoa, that's how we were created. Paul says, you want to overcome sin in your life, see who you are now. Quit seeing your old self. That's not who you are. So here's the question. It's the same question that Jacob had to answer that night. The question that God was asking Jacob through all this is, Jacob, do you believe me? Isn't that really what it boiled down to? You either believe me or you don't. I know you hear me, but do you believe me? And so the question for us today, do you believe the gospel? Think about it. What does the gospel say? It says that without Christ, you're hopeless, full of sin and rebellious, and have no way to please God. If we believe that, why are we still pretending? Why do we still promote the facade in the church? Pretend like everything's fine. Don't, I, don't, I mean, I asked you that question, but I don't really want to know the truth. Why do we promote that? If we believe the gospel, the gospel says that I am a dirty, rotten, wretched man. I deserve the wrath of God. But in Christ, I have found freedom that has set me free from that wrath, has set me free from the dominion of death. And now I'm free to do what? Do whatever I want? No. I'm free to be who I am in Christ. Sin no longer has dominion over me. It no longer defines who I am. So the question is, do you believe the gospel? And just like Jacob, it'll be proven by whether or not you obey the gospel. Those of you who are already Christians in Christ, you need to hear the gospel just as much as anybody else. You need to hear it. Quit trying to go back to your old self. That old self is dead. Be who you are in Christ today. You want victory over sin? Be who you are. You are God's child now. If you're here today and you don't know hope, your life is still like Jacob on the bank of the river, dark, and you're wrestling and you can't figure this thing out, I'm inviting you to Jesus this morning. We're done proclaiming this gospel that says, go clean yourself up and then Jesus will be happy with you. We're done here doing that, just so you know. We're gonna proclaim the gospel that we receive from the scripture that says, you come just as you are right now. You can't be too dirty for God to embrace you and give you a hug. You can't be too sinful to embarrass God. And here's what happens in Jacob and Esau. That like a chapter later, he actually sees Esau. All this has happened, and now he's like, he gets his wives and his kids together. He's like, All right, let's bow down like seven times. You know, he does this whole thing. And here's what, here's what Esau does. I love this. And some of you have to excuse me. It's the best I can do. If you go back with us about two years, you remember Brian Jones? Esau comes up and gives him a Brian Jones hug, okay? So I'm gonna explain to you what that is. We used to have a guy here on staff who was like the hugger, like you're laughing because you're the hugger of all huggers. It was, it was kind of awkward. He would pull you in, he would almost like smell you, okay? But once you got used to this, like you love to be hugged by him, okay? 
That's what Esau does with Jacob. He pulls him in and like kisses him on the neck and just, you know, just that intimate hug. I'm sorry. He Brian jones him. Somebody who knows Brian, you need to tweet or Facebook that. But, here, but here's the thing. Here's what Jacob does. He, he doesn't say, oh, you're awesome, Esau. He, you know what he says to Esau? I saw the face of God today in Esau's response. I saw the face of God in his mercy to me. We want you to see the face of God in his mercy. He's here today saying, please, just come to me. Bring it. Don't stop with your excuses. Quit it. Bring, yes, I'm talking to you. Bring it to me. Bring it to me. Let's pray together.